Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 34 of Daffy's Roundtable and part two of my conversation with Chase Jennings of Houston Frogs. Last week, we discussed how Chase cultures mushrooms, mycelium, and other plants for use in our vivariums. We also discussed all the awesome products he's working on to advance the dark frog hobby. This week, we discussed different feeder options and get a tour of one of the Houston Frog facilities. But first, a huge shout out to the show sponsor, Exoterra, for making this episode possible. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. Okay, let's jump back into part two of the conversation with Chase Jennings of Houston Frogs. And then another thing that uh, I think I found very interesting with your website and something that you're also doing differently, um, something that I've been looking for for a very long time is uh, alternative feeders, something yep. other than fruit flies. Um, so you actually, I found I found a bunch of different ones. Maybe if we could talk about a few of them, uh, maybe starting with the sure. Malaysian micro roach. Yeah. Uh, are those as small as fruit flies? Yeah. So that's the fun thing. They're actually the same size as Hydei fruit flies. Awesome. Uh, now, some Rantamaya still will eat them, especially the babies, because the babies are tiny, yeah. the size of springtails. A lot of people actually accidentally misidentified their babies as springtails because they're so tiny. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're so fun. And the cool thing about it is, you know, when I say roaches, people are like, what do you mean? Like, I hate roaches. Yeah. Because so many of us have had things like red runners and wood roaches. Some roaches are very protein hungry. They'll get into dart frog ovariums because it's this nice wet place with all this food for them, you know, dead fruit flies and, you know, vitamin deposits from, you know, dumping out your vitamins in there. Yeah. Uh, and then frog eggs, which frog eggs, mm, those are tasty, right? And so these roaches will get in and they'll eat frog eggs. They will actually chew on the frogs as they sleep at night, causing wounds that could eventually get infected and kill the frogs. They're horrible. These roaches are not our nightmares. Uh, they are friends. The really cool thing is they eat detritus. They just eat, you know, they'll eat frog poop. They'll eat all kinds of things within the soil. Um, they're not protein hungry. So they're not saying that's going to go after your frog eggs. They're not something that's going to go after your frogs. They're just running around there cleaning things up just like your ice pods or springtails. And they need high humidity. If they get outside of the vivarium, they'll just die. Just so you're not going to find them walking around in your kitchen. Yeah, you'll have <laughs> which is beautiful. And they're horrible climbers. I mean, they're just the derpiest little things, just like dubia roaches. Um, awesome. They can't climb well. So you'll have to worry about them escaping. And again, they're just, they're so tiny, so minuscule. It's saying you can add to your vivarium. They're going to reproduce in there because that's a great environment, just like for ice pods or springtails. They're going to help to clean things up. But they're also a, another feeder source for the frogs. So, you know, if you uh, are on vacation a little bit longer than you plan to, and the person who's supposed to come over and feed fails you and doesn't come over when they're supposed to, your frogs have something else they can munch on. Um, or if you underfeed one week, um, yeah, they have something else to munch on. Do they outcompete with springtails and isopods? Well, and that's a beautiful thing too. Like they get along very well with the isopods and springtails. They don't predate upon them. Oftentimes, with competition from other invertebrates, it's predation of their young. They'll either mm -hmm. eat the small springtails or their eggs, or they'll eat the manicae from the ice pods. These micro roaches don't. And that's the wonderful thing about them is they live um, very, very nicely with them, very peacefully. That is, that is awesome. And then what do you feed them? Because you're not also feeding them the same media as you're feeding the fruit flies, are you? 
No. And, and that's the wonderful thing is I hardly feed them anything. Um, they eat most of the stuff within the soil. They'll eat fungi that grows um, in the culturing container. Uh, cool. I'll throw some algae flakes and things like that in there every once in a while. Um, you know, maybe a little uh, piece of fish food. But they they just survive off of, you know, anything that they can find, which is amazing. That's awesome. Fish. Sorry, what was that? I, I said they don't really eat that much either. So so easy to kind of culture as well. Super easy to culture. As long as they don't dry out, then, I mean, it's near impossible to kill them. Um, if they dry out, that's another story. So Awesome. Okay, what about the aquatic globular springtails? I don't know if I said that right, but I have never well, even heard of that. Well, springtails are a huge rabbit hole we could go down. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of different springtails all right. over. I mean, they, they're on, they're almost everywhere. I don't believe they're in Antarctica, but other than Antarctica, they're almost everywhere. And the wonderful thing about it is they have such a diverse role in the ecosystem. Oftentimes they keep fungi in check and some are more generalistic to where they'll feed on most types of fungi. Um, and some are more specialized where they will only feed on some particular fungi or slime molds or, you know, detritus, biofilm, things like that. Um, these aquatic globular springtails are springtails that um, were actually found in a fish tank uh, flowing on some salvinia. Interesting. And they, and they lay their, uh, their eggs on the salvinia and they'll actually hop across the water. And every once in a while you'll see, I also have endlers, guppies and things like that. While the fish will come up and bloop, just take one, eat it. Okay. Um, but, but they're a lot of fun. And I've, I've worked with a lot of other uh, types of springtails. I'm actually not working with near as many as I used to. I actually just found a new type of springtail that I put into cultivation a couple days ago when I was out looking for mushrooms. Because oftentimes you can find springtails on the mushrooms eating them. So it's like, you know, hit two birds with one stone. Yeah, right? and proof that that's their natural diet as well. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, my hope with the springtails, it is a lot of work keeping the cultures uh, from getting contaminated from other springtails. Yes. Because some springtails, especially the uh, Bolsomia candida, which are the temperate springtails, they love to get into everything. Because yes. the problem is when you open up that container, you don't see the babies. And when they first hatch out, if you put them under a microscope and you see them hatch out, they are microscopic. You can't see them at all. And the slightest gust blows them into the air. So when you open these containers, all these little baby springtails go all over you. And so if you go in another springtail container of a different type after that, you're contaminating it. So the only way to culture all these different types of springtails literally is to do one culture each day or take a full shower, decontaminate yourself in between dealing with each type of springtail. That's a lot of work. I've contaminated so, multiple springtail cultures. I had no idea how. Thank you for that. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. um, I do provide some things to help with that. The uh, the springtail blanks I sell and the kits I sell actually have a 0.2 micron filter. And that way you can add ventilation in. So you don't have to worry about CO2 poisoning if you overfeed accidentally. Because that's how people have mass die off the springtails. You open that up, they're all dead. It's CO2 poisoning. And that's either from having too high of a population in there. Or it's from feeding food, like live yeast, for instance, which live yeast uh, actually uh, uses oxygen and it gives off carbon dioxide. So it causes this fatal buildup of CO2. Um, so I made these containers with these 0.2 micron filters 
so that there's constant gas exchange. There's never a fatal buildup of CO2 in there. It allows the culture to breathe. But doesn't it doesn't dry out too fast. Uh, no, it doesn't dry out too fast either. But I mean, as long as you don't put too big of a hole in the lid, uh, that's something I had to work out at first was, you know, I put um, too big of a hole in the lid originally under the filter. Now I'm putting much smaller holes. And that way you still get great gas exchange. You don't have that CO2 buildup, but they also don't dry out as fast. I mean, you can miss it every two weeks and you're great. Um, but it keeps mites out and it keeps other types of springtails out as well. Um, but what I, was, what I was saying with these springtails is I'm probably going to cultivate these, sell these so that other people can cultivate them again going. And then I'm probably going to stop cultivation myself of those because they are eventually going to get contaminated because I have too many projects going to, to do that much work on that particular thing. Yeah, but at least now you've brought them into the hobby. Now they're accessible. Other people can work with them. And then eventually you could like maybe buy them back and sell them on the website or whatever. Exactly. And that's what I've done with a lot of things in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, like isolating uh, genetics with Drosophila, the different types of fruit flies. Um, there's a lot of fruit flies that I've gone out into the hobby um, that nobody was working with before. Um, that now, you know, I'm leaving it to others to, to pass those on for me because I just don't have the time to upkeep those. Um, again, it's one of those things, you know, I can either spend all of my time doing maintenance and never come up with new projects, uh, never doing more research or development, never be able to improve the hobby, or I can take these projects I've created, pass them on to others who will then be able to nurture them and bring them forward for me. And that's what I'd rather do, honestly. No, definitely. Animal care takes a lot of time. Like, uh, like for me, like it's this is not the same thing. But for example, the more animals I have, the less time I have to edit. The yeah. you know downsizing gives me more time to edit and all of that, like mumbo jumbo. But that's um, that's that's very cool. Okay, I'm gonna ask you about one more before we jump off the feeders. Sure. <laughs> um, the spider beetle culture. Spider beetle yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, well, that's actually a a grain pest. It's probably something that wouldn't be like Canada or something like that, but it's saying that super easy culture on dog food. Um, and the funny thing about it is, I mean, you literally just put the dog food in there, they burrow into it, they uh, lay their eggs, they hatch out, you feed them off. I mean, they're a pretty simple culture, pretty much the same as uh, wheat weevils or um, bean beetles, anything like that. Have so you actually seen the frogs eat um, any of those three things you just mentioned? Oh, yeah. No, they'll eat them all. The thing about it is they typically don't like bean beetles that much um, because they do have a hard exoskeleton. They're very high in chitin, which is why I typically don't recommend you feeding too many to your frogs because uh, they can actually get prolapses and things like that because yeah. it's very difficult for them to digest the chitin. Um, but it's the same thing with the uh, spider beetles and the wheat weevils. They will actually take to the wheat weevils and the spider beetles more than will the bean beetles because they're slightly smaller. I guess they have a better taste to the frogs. Um, but again, saying that I'd only recommend as an occasional feeder, a treat, it's not, or, or a backup feeder rather. It's not saying that I'd recommend as, you know, feed it all the time uh, because fruit flies are relatively soft. Yeah. Uh, but these beetles, they have a hard exoskeleton, which is hard for the frogs to digest. So if they have too much of that, then um, they can run into digestive issues which is why I recommend you know, no more than 10% of their diet be in those types of beetles. So do you still uh, use or recommend fruit flies as the staple most recommended diet? Yeah. It's always good being the main staple diet. Now, there are some springtails I've worked with that um, will actually hold um, vitamin powder 
on them, which is great. Um, and they're saying that could be cultured. I've actually been working with uh, making cylinders, like these drums that are coated with, coated with clay, that these larger, I mean, very large, uh, like Tomoceras springtails could be cultured in. They're really fast reproducing. And then you could just dump them out into a cup and dust them like fruit flies and then feed them just like fruit flies. Because um, fruit flies are, I mean, they're nasty. I mean, let's all admit that. They're nasty. They're disgusting, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, if cultures for too long, they're prone to getting mites in them, grain mites, which then crawl over everything. And then you feel all itchy. Um, and they get out. Like uh, when I was culturing 600 fruit fly cultures a week, which was insane, you know, I put a drink down for like five seconds. I looked at I'm like, oh, I, I can't drink that now. It has like 10 fruit flies in it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a I had a couple of friends over. We were filming an episode like here in the basement, just like live, not not over uh, live stream. And so we were having a couple of drinks, and halfway through the podcast, I'm looking down as I'm taking a sip of beer, and there's just a fruit fly sitting there staring at me. And I was like, "Yeah, it's a uh, frog room." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. A little extra protein for you. You know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a little extra protein. Exactly. Uh, no, that's awesome. Okay. Um, so since we're since we're on the feeders. Um, I mean, Dieter, something we actually mentioned earlier as well, which was the calcium clay, um, the calcium clay baths. Sure. Um, so we actually don't have any source of, um, like nowhere to buy the calcium clay in here in Canada. So a friend tried out a bunch of different recipes and created some, don't know if it's actually equivalent to, um, what you're selling and, and some of the other like ready-made products out there, but I have actually seen. Um, a number of different species sitting in it, bathing in it, covering themselves in it. And I actually had my Dendrobates tinctorius oyapak um, pair lay their eggs on the calcium. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so it's definitely, definitely super useful. Um, how did you, how did you come up with your, like, like, and I, I don't know if it's a, like a secret recipe or anything and I don't, I don't know it, but like, if like, how did you come up with the recipe and then sort of, is there a difference in the recipe used for culturing springtails versus the recipe for um, like the calcium clay baths for the frogs? There's a huge difference. I mean, okay. it's, it's like a dog and a cat. It's like an apple okay. and orange. They're completely different. And awesome. it's like this, that, that calcium clay for springtails, the springtails do not need that much calcium the slightest. Uh, this is some, something that someone posted on Dingerboard years ago. People ran with it, they spread it, and all of a sudden, everybody thought that springtails needed all this calcium, which is completely false. They utilize a small portion of it, but they don't need near as much as what isopods do, because isopods have a calcium carbonate composed exoskeleton, right? They're crustaceans. Right. Isopods do not need all that calcium. So the springtail chocolate that I sell, uh, it does have a little bit in it, but it has a wide variety of other minerals that the springtails actually need to thrive because this calcium clay overlooks a lot of things that are very vital for the springtail growth. Um, and quite honestly, a lot of species like Fulsomia uh, candida, the temperate springtails, you can culture them on almost anything. I mean, you could probably culture them on a dog turd. I mean, honestly, <laughs> so easy a culture. Um, I formulated my clay particularly towards some of these much harder to culture species, uh, a lot of the globular springtails, for instance. Um, so calcium clay, you won't be able to culture a lot of those rare types of uh, springtails. And again, it is vastly different from um, the calcium clay bath that I make. 
uh, that calcium clay that you're thinking of that they use for springtail culturing, again, way more calcium that needs. Someone literally just was like, oh, I'm going to Google all these things that have calcium and I'm going to throw them together and that's going to be the product. Okay. Right? Um, there's a lot more thought, a lot more research that goes into these products that I'm making. The calcium clay bath is extremely fine. And what I mean by extremely fine is it's on the order of about 10 microns. It's something that is very bioavailable. It's something that the frogs uh, will be able to soak in it and very easily absorb the minerals through their skin. And it's not just something that is very rich in calcium, but it's rich in a lot of other minerals that the frogs need, like magnesium, like zinc. It has a lot of trace minerals that they need, like cobalt, for instance. Um, the thing about it is it's something that a lot of work went into on the same order as making a supplement that you'd feed to them orally. Now, it's not considered a supplement so far as like regulations and everything else is concerned. It's um, saying that's for, uh, I guess you would say it's like novelty use or for, um, I guess, uh, you know, uh, it's for them to play in essentially. Yeah. <laughs> But, but my main reason for making that was because I wanted something that was going to provide the same thing that they're going to be getting in the wild, which is being able to absorb all these uh, minerals through their skin, through their environment. Um, because the environment that we create does not typically have something like that where the frogs can absorb those minerals through their skin. We're using distilled water in their tanks. So they're typically not going to be getting uh, vitamins or minerals through the water. We're typically putting a lot of leaf litter down, which we should. We're not having a water source in there because if you have a water source, you have a lot of issues with stagnant water growing, harmful bacteria and stuff like that. But in the wild, the way that nature works is there are natural puddles. There are natural areas that there are clays that are exposed that the frogs can walk on. They're very rich in minerals. Uh, a lot of times these uh, minerals originally come from volcanic sources or they come from uh, even marine sources because... As you know, a lot of the earth was originally covered with water. Um, and then as uh, the glaciers form, which is why we're so worried about the ice caps melting, uh, these waters receded. There's all these minerals um, that we don't have in our tanks. So this um, clay bath that I made has those minerals that are so vital to the frogs that if it is being missed in the oral supplements that we're giving them or they're not being given enough, it's saying that is auxiliary supplementation. Um, and saying that really it's cool because I've also put under a microscope week two, week three, week four, week five, and there's not this, uh, bacterial growth, this excessive bacterial growth, like you would have in just a stagnant, uh, dish of water. Um, the clay bath, uh, itself actually seems to have antibacterial properties. Does it ever deteriorate? Do you ever need to change it or is it kind of, um, well, typically they're going to splash it out within a couple yeah. weeks which is why I tell people that you probably don't want this in a show tank because they're going to splash everywhere and have muddy frog prints everywhere. Yeah. Which people love. Um, other people are like, oh my God, like I want it to be nice and clean and pristine, which nature is not, right? Nature is dirty. Yeah. But, um, so, I, so I tell people, if you have a beautiful show tank that you don't want frog footprints on everything, you might not want to use it. Um, but a lot of people, especially people who breed a lot of frogs, love it because um you know i've had people tell me that their fertility's also increased using it um because again it's an auxiliary way to uh, supplement your frogs 
So, and it's a, a way to give them something that's sort of fun for them too. Something where they can be frogs. They yeah. can splash through the mud, which they seem to really love doing. Something to do in nature. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Will 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 this be considered a, a dry good product that can be shipped to Canada at some point? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> that's gonna be one of the first products that's going to be uh, shipped up to Canada and the UK and uh, everywhere else. So. Nice. Yeah, it's it's gonna be pretty cool. I think you are gonna enjoy it. So. Uh, oh, I can guarantee we will. <laughs> well, let me I'm, let me know when it's possible. I'm gonna have the international website launching in probably the next couple weeks. Planning it, but I also have a lot of wedding playing going. So we'll see how next. Um, but if it's not in the next couple weeks, it'll be within the next month, the latest. And then y'all be able to order, um, you know, the tadpole food. Y'all be able to order uh, the clay bath, a lot of the different decor that I have on there. A lot of the specialty stuff that, again, you know, I love making new things. Uh, yeah. love so Actually, the, uh, the, the tadpole food, mm -hmm. um, I also saw something like um, sp sp uh, tissue culture spirulina or... Um, yeah, it was like spirulina plates. So what, what is that? And like, how do you use them as tadpole food? So one of the most important parts of tadpole rearing is their nutrition. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people will end up having, you know, eventually at least a tadpole coming out with spindly leg syndrome um, or maybe with neurological issues, um, different types of issues that are caused through nutritional deficiency or maybe their tadpoles just when they morph, the froggets come out really small. Um, I've been trying to tackle this problem for a long time, which is why uh, I eventually came out with this tadpole food, which has taken a lot of research, a lot of development. Um, also made sure that the um, particle size was small enough where the tadpoles could very easily eat it, where there wasn't a lot of waste and fouling in the water. Uh, and something that's also uh, bolstered with um, calcium with different types of algae. But along with that, I've been working on different live food sources as well. And um, since I'm doing all this different work in the laboratory, the cool thing about it is once you're doing sterile work with bacteria, it's easy to do it with plants. It's easy to do it with fungi. And it all sort of cross-translates. And so I'm culturing out uh, clean cultures of spirulina and chlorella um, algae, which then you can take a strainer. And, you know, a lot of people actually eat spirulina and chlorella because... They have a lot of health benefits. They're packed with all kinds of vitamins and minerals. I mix them into my fruit fly cultures and I mix um, into like other things, yeah. Yeah, they're extremely nutritious. Mm -hmm. And the live foods that we have, you know, nutrition is lost anytime that something dies, anytime something is freeze-dried, anytime something is frozen, anytime something, you know, isn't alive. There's a lot of different um, compounds that are lost. And so I'm trying to culture out a lot of live foods that can then be fed to, you know, for instance, straining out spirulina algae or chlorella algae, and then, you know, making it into a paste and rubbing it on a rock, a pebble, and putting it in with your tadpole, and the tadpole can eat it off of the pebble. Um, you know, the tadpoles love it, and they come out huge. Yeah, they're kind of scraping it off the rock because that's how they naturally sort of eating in the wild. Yeah, because in the wild, you know, tadpoles, there's no one that's magically coming along and sprinkling tadpole food in there. No, of course. They're eating any kind of detritus they can find or, or sometimes siblings as well. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, you know, they're going to be eating algae that's naturally growing in there. You know, I'll have people, they'll be like, oh, no, there's algae growing in my uh, in my tadpole container. And I'm like, don't worry about it. 
They're ing. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but they're going in algae. They're going to be in, you know, in kind of insect corpses that, you know, the insect drowns in there. They're going to be eating that. That's extra protein for them. Uh, they're going to be munching on leaves and things like that that fall into the water and start to decay, which is why you'll notice them eating um, Indian almond leaves, for instance. Yeah. Put those in there. Uh, and those leaves also add tannins into the water, which is very important. Helps lower the pH of the water, which makes um, the water not as apt to grow bacteria and fungi. And also right. adds B vitamins into the water as well. And the frogs can eat the leaves. Um, so it's really important to provide a lot of different nutritional sources for your tadpoles because the more sources of food you add, uh, the more variety you have in their nutrition and the more live foods you have, whether it be live algae or even live blackworms, um, things like that, uh, or even every once in a while fruit fly will be dumb and will fall into it and then they'll eat the fruit fly. Um, yeah. That's something that's going to make those tadpoles be a lot larger and healthier. And it's going to reduce things like spindly leg syndrome. Uh, and then, of course, the bigger the tadpole uh, morphs out, the bigger the froglet is when it morphs out from a tadpole, the higher its chances are of survival as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that's that that's awesome. Like exactly like we always say, like variety is key, right? Yes. The more the more the diet, more diet options, the better. It awesome. And it it is a very complex thing. Life is complex, but. You know, I'm trying to do the complexity and then provide to people in a simple package to where it's it's easy to be successful with it. Yeah, awesome. Okay, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time during your wedding planning season and all of that. <laughs> um, but if it would be possible to kind of get like a quick tour of the of the lab once again, or um, just yeah. kind of some of the cooler areas of what's going on, um, I would love to see that. And then sure. while we do that, I do have one more question for you. Um, okay. I did notice on your website that you also you're selling uh, tadpoles and not just frogs. Mm -hmm. Is there a benefit to that? Like, is shipping them easier? Is it just easier to ship for, uh, tadpoles and froglets, or um, do you anticipate like a easier transition for them being froglets, or, or rather, sorry, being tadpoles rather than froglets? Or uh, what's what's your opinion on this? I guess. Well, those are all really good questions. You know, the thing about it is in the hobby, it used to actually be really taboo. Um, to sell tadpoles. And the reason for that is because it used to sort of be like a carval fish syndrome where people buy a cheap pet and then that cheap pet, people want to know how to take care of it and it would just die on them. Yeah. Um, and that's why I made the tadpole kit along with very thorough instructions that I give to people at no extra charge when they buy those tadpoles from me. And that has everything they need to raise them, all the food, the botanicals, the instructions, everything except the container and the tadpole. And with those kits, people have been extraordinarily successful, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time. And every once in a while, people are not successful. And typically, we can narrow it down to, oh, no, you put it next to a window and it got too hot. Or, oh, it was right under your fruit fly culturing rack and all these fruit flies fell into it. They died, they rotted, and then they had the ammonia it. spiked. Yeah. Um, so there's these different things that we can, you know, typically, again, 99% of the time, I can nail down what went wrong with them and help people to learn because this is all learning process and that's half the fun is learning new things Absolutely. and improving with time. Um, but yeah, so tadpoles are something that people can buy along with this kit, which you know, they buy the tadpoles, comes with the kit. Uh, I say that you have to buy four tadpoles. Probably shouldn't be saying this, but even if people buy one tadpole, I still give them the kit. Because um, <laughs> I just, I want art to not send them a kit because I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be this like Scrooge that's like, oh, you only bought one tadpole. I'm going to yeah. make sure you don't have the instructions. 
No. Yeah, you want every tadpole to survive. I want everyone to survive. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're my babies. So I'm mm -hmm. like, so, um, yeah, so I send the kit and, you know, people are extraordinarily successful. So far as a benefit between froglet and tadpole, um, you know, we have this thing in the hobby that we say three months of age. Three months of age is where a repeatable vendor, a repeatable breeder will be selling a froglet. Right. But it really tells you why that is. Um, and I can explain that to you. So in between the time that the froglet comes out of water and the time that's three months of age is its most uh, fragile period. The, the time that if you move that froglet during that time, you're going to significantly reduce its chance of survival because it stresses very, very easily. That uh, froglet, when it first morphs out, it's also going to become very, um, let's say it adapts to the particular parameters of its grow out. Um, you know, it's one of those things like a tadpole, when you first put it into water, uh, you can have all these different water parameters and it's fine because in the wild, the parents, you know, particularly if it's some type of dendrobates, is going to be depositing a tadpole into a stagnant water source that may be extremely high in ammonia. It may have um, all kinds of nasty things in it, but the tadpole adapt to it and that's perfectly fine. But the froglets and the tadpoles, once they give age, they lose that adaptability. They are adapted to that environment and they don't expect because there should naturally be a grand shift in that environment. So if you take a fresh alwar froglet up to three months of age and you shift it to a completely different environment, something that has a completely different set of bacteria and fungi in it, then oftentimes it'll fail to thrive. It won't do well. And so if you raise it up from a tadpole and you keep it in that grow out up until three months of age when it's stable, then you will be successful. It's very easy to be successful. But if a breeder were to take it at one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks of age, and then take it to a reptile expo, let's say, which I've seen people do, and yeah. sell it to people, most of the time people don't do well with them. Um, and that's beyond the point of them not having a lot of fat stores, so it's very easy to underfeed them if you're someone who's brand new to the hobby. Um, or again, you don't have your humidity right. They don't have the fat stores that mass to be able to buffer against, you know, perhaps too low of humidity, yeah. which oftentimes you get frogs and they'll hide. They're like, why are my frogs hiding? I'm like, do you have a screen top? They're like, oh, yes, I do. Put some glass over it, put some saran wrap over it. Your frog will be out and about because yeah. it's too low humidity right now. Um, so tadpoles, the benefit that people have is that you are able to buy them for cheaper than you would a froglet. You yeah. say but a lot of people also love to see that process of the, the tadpole starting out, it growing in size, and then it getting its back legs, and then it popping out one arm, then popping out the other arm, and then crawling out water, and it and getting the color. Yeah. Yep. And, and then the tail disappears, and all of a sudden it'll start eating and hopping around. Um, people love that process. It's saying that really, it's sort of like a bonding experience for a lot of people. And, and so it's one of those things, if you want instant gratification, then you can get a froglet that's, again, at least three months of age, uh, proper size, proper weight. Um, well-established. Yeah, well-established. And, and then you have a froglet. Or you can start with the tadpole, and you get the tadpole kit. You go through this really cool process. A lot of people that are into aquatics, especially freshwater aquatics, love them. And they're like, wow, this is way easier than any of the fish that I keep way easier yeah it is and it is. and then they get to see this really cool process that um people don't oftentimes get to witness yeah. uh, 
and and again, you do save some money too, which for some people is a motivation. So yeah, so there's a lot of uh, really cool species of dart frogs that are just just over accessibility price. You know, like can be a little bit expensive, and if if selling the selling them as tadpoles makes them more accessible to more breeders, then uh, it's it's also a really good idea. And also families with kids. Um, you know, I'm sure like a lot a lot of people I, personally, I enjoy watching the tadpole morph, but but even for a kid, it's probably even more exciting at this point, you know? It is. And there's a lot of people that do have kids that, you know, buy the tadpoles particularly for those kids, maybe even for like a science class or something like that. Yeah. And the parents all of a sudden are like huge into the hobby because yeah. they're like, wow, I didn't think frogs could be this cool. And, and then they get established in the hobby. And all of a sudden I see them go from buying one tadpole for their kid for a science class so now they have like 20 tanks. They have, oh yeah, exactly. They have two racks and a Miss King setup and everything already. Yeah. And it's addicting and that's that's the fun of it, you know? It is, it is. Collectoritis. I like getting people addicted to good things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's that's awesome, yeah. frogs, not drugs, right? Yeah. yeah. Somebody <laughs> should put that on his t-shirt. Do, fro do frogs, not drugs. I mean, uh, buy frogs, not... <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Uh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, if, if, if we're still up for, if you're still able to take us on that tour, that would be awesome. Yeah. I can give you a quick tour. Um, yes, I don't know if there's any way to turn this camera around. Uh, uh nope. Yeah. No. I, forget off. I, bet. Um, I wonder if I could. No. Okay. I cannot. That's okay. Um, so I'll sort of walk you around. So, uh, this is the packing and shipping room. This is where, you know, I store a lot of the dry goods and um, where the magic happens digitally, I guess you could say. So that's my desk. And then this is the, the packing and shipping room. So it doesn't have all the dry goods, but has a lot of stuff that's you know, ready to ship out. Um, and then let's see here, I'll walk you around. It's, it's a yeah. lot of stuff. Hey, Alexa, turn on all the lights in the office. Turn on all the lights in the office. Sorry, everything is voice saw made here. That, so that's awesome. Yeah. I have to tell her. Um, anyways, it's a little bit of a mess right now because I have a thousand different projects going on. But uh, this is, you know, where I do most of the plants and aquatics and things like that. Um, wow. Yeah. And so um, I have projects all over the place. Um, I have some of my different mosses, and all these mosses are grown. Um, just moss themselves there's uh no fish with them or anything like that and you see um i have like some anchor moss there i don't know if you can see that yeah absolutely yeah but yeah and that's saying that you can actually grow terrestrially which is pretty cool um <coughs> also store um a lot of my tissue cultures in here uh this is some uh serpents moss this is actually um brand new into the hobby no one in the united states has this i don't think anybody in canada has this either no I, probably not <laughs> no um so that's something that's new that i'm gonna be releasing soon um and you do the tissue culture so that they're pest free as well right oh well yeah if you have a single pest like it's there a single mite the whole thing contaminates like yeah. the whole thing it looks horrendous you want to see a contaminated one uh this is what a contaminated one looks like so you see how you see the black mold in there dark yeah yeah i do yeah yeah the nice thing is um here's another one you know because that's the thing about it. there's there's always gonna be some sort of contamination you know you do a thousand cultures you're gonna have like five or six that get contaminated so see that you see yeah. that mold that's all in 
it's really nasty. But anyways, um, so all these in here are completely contaminant free. There's not a single bacterium, not a single uh, fungal spore. There's not a single mite, nothing wow. except for the plants and the nutrient solution. Because if there was a single contaminant, it would completely take over. Uh, this is some Rickia broad. This is also um, new in the United States, and I believe in Canada too. So that's going to be something really cool. Um, and then also have, let's see here, uh, oh, peacock moss. This is neat. I'm about to release this as well. This is awesome. pretty difficult to get. But and hey, all of these will grow terrestrially, correct? Yes, all of them will. Um, I actually have a little terrarium here it's my little experimental terrarium okay. um i grow a lot of these things out but i'll show you what it looks like wow yeah so and those all start from tissue cultures too here's the that moss lentinarum cool. and is that stratum the substrate under them uh, yes that actually is stratum, so okay yeah. aqua soil yeah. um i use aqua soil for a lot of different things so but yeah, no, it's uh, all those started from tissue cultures. That term is a little bit ugly right now because it's in between shows and I use it for a lot of different experiments. It, it, looks, it looked great from here. You're okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, here's some riparian moss that I'm growing out. Um, let's see here. Here's Rickia comidrifolia. So that's a liverwort. But uh, I have a lot of cool experiments going like that. Um, Unfortunately, like I said, they take constant maintenance because yeah. um, all these things, you know, you're constantly having to fight bacteria and fungi. And every once in a while, I put something under the microscope. I'm like, what are you, you little, you know, <laughs> can't curse on here, but yeah. I'm so angry. I'm like, you little bacteria, I'll kill you. You little bacteria. <laughs> yeah. And um, so here, like in this room. Awesome. Oh, and every but, room is coated. Yeah, every room here is coded, so it's very secure. Um, anyways, so, and this is um, my 3D modeling and tank building room. So I have all kinds of stuff. It's it's really a mess right now. So where you're doing all the small isopods and the frogs and all. Yeah, and so if you want to see, like, some of the tiniest dinosaur skulls in the world, you know, this is a uh, Tylosaurus skull here. Awesome. You know, it's like a little 0.5 mil. Um, yeah. um, have some of the, probably the tiniest human skulls you ever see in your entire life. And, and, and you're making these like, as like decoration for vivariums? Yeah. Say that that right there, that little BB. I, I do, yeah. Human skull. You'll have to go on the website and see what it looks like with high detail, but <clears throat> a little bit hard with a, a phone camera. For sure. But no, yeah, no, I, I'll have, have the link for everybody to go see it as well. You know, I have like little triceratops skull, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. If you're a fan of alien, I have xenomorph skulls. So, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Or if you like uh, isopods, you know, I have some really realistic looking uh, isopods as well. Yeah. I saw those on the website. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also testing out one of the new uh, bio orb earths as well. I'm actually in the process of rescaping it, so it looks ugly at the moment inside, but it's gonna okay. look beautiful soon. You should have seen at the show that I had at. Yeah, it's, it's it the like. bio bio orb. Bio, what did you call it? Sorry, bio orb Earth. Earth. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean it's amazing. It's a spaceship of a tank 
Everything is fully automated. You have sunrise, sunset. Uh, it automatically mists for you. Mars humidity, monitors temperature, sends you notifications if your temperature is too high or humidity is too low. I mean, it's wow. amazing. So I'll be doing a full review of that pretty soon. And I have um, some of our mushroom kits as well, which again. Yeah, I actually saw some that are like bioluminescent and stuff. That's that's like really cool. Yeah, um, this one's almost fully colonized. You can see that brown portion is not colonized at the yeah. bottom. Yeah, you yeah. If 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 those ever become available, <laughs> I keep saying this, but if if yeah. those ever become available, I really want to see if I can grow my so, own mushrooms as well. Aquarium kits. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I'll be working on that to see you know, how we can get something going, or if there's someone up there or somebody who's listening to this who can assist with that process. That would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I I wish I could, but yeah, if anybody knows, reach out and and and. Help us both out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so this room is laboratory here. And, I mean, this is, you know, one of my workstations over here. I just have a lot of my 100 mil media bottles that I uh, put a and nutrient solution, things like that in. Uh, I have some of my moss inoculant that I just made in this last batch uh, yesterday. And so... There's some of the moss inoculant there. Nice, yeah. That's really cool. Okay, yeah. I on the website it looked more like it was frozen resin. So it made it was in a liquid. That makes okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a liquid nutrient solution, but it's uh safe for your vivarium. Uh if you're a nutrient solution that I typically grow them in, it would not be because it would cause excessive bacterial or fungal growth. But I made these particularly so that you can use them in your vivarium without worrying oh, about vivarium. that. Awesome, that's very cool. So yeah. And I'm going to have to decontaminate the lab anyways, so, <laughs> okay, screw it, I'll just go in. Um, oh, normally I would go through a whole decontamination procedure before coming in here, but again, I'm going to have to decontaminate the lab tonight anyways, so it's like, okay. might as well. <coughs> I do that anytime I have a big production run, because um, the biggest thing about it is the more um, contamination you have, the more stuff that spoils and the more money it costs you so but um anyways so i i pack a lot of the mushroom kits you know in front of this flow hood over here and um then the tissue cultures um this is my workspace for the tissue culturing is that a fume hood so um it looks like a fume hood but it's actually a, a biosafety cabinet okay. so it um it has positive pressure so it's not sucking the air out which is what typically a fume hood would do um, for chemicals to make sure that the chemicals don't harm you what it's doing is it said it's pushing air out and it's pushing it through a uh, very fine filter essentially that's taking out any kind of bacterial cysts or fungal spores to make sure that the air is completely clean and it's pushing out any air that may try to enter to ensure that all the air inside the biosafety cabinet is completely clean and sterile so, awesome. um, and then of course I just have, you know, storage, different supplies. I have blanks for, uh, fungi. I have blanks for, um, uh, tissue cultures. I have my different, uh, nutrient solutions. So I have like Vibrio Fischeri agar and I have my water agar. I have my fungi agar, all that different stuff. Does so, the Vibrio Fischeri agar glow in the dark? Uh, no, the Vibrio Fischeri itself does glow in the dark, but not the agar itself, though. Okay. 
though. The Uriberficiaria is the, the bacterium that has bioluminescence to it. So that's what makes the mushrooms bioluminescent as well? Uh, no, no, that's completely different. So um, Viviroficiary is something that, uh, it's a bacteria that has a symbiotic relationship with the bobtail squid. Yeah. So it has to be uh, cultured on agar that is very similar to the, um, I guess you could say the body chemistry of the squid. Um, otherwise it just, it won't thrive. Um, and it'll bioluminesce, which is pretty cool. Uh, the mushrooms are a completely different thing which I actually do have now six different types of um, bioluminescent uh, fungi that I'm working with that I think I just have two for sale right now, but I'll be putting up some more soon. So here you can see, um, and this is like an experimental fruiting chamber. This is where I put all the blocks, all the different types of fungi to test them out. But I'll show you real quick. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so this right here, if you can see it, is coral tooth. See this? Yeah, yeah. That looks that looks just like coral. Yeah, and so this is one of the block sets made for eating. And then we also have uh, reishi, which this is um, Ganoderma multiplayum in the back. And we also have like, oh, this is one of the, um, I believe this is, oh yeah, this is a Herculeum coralloides. So this is one of the coral tooth uh, terrarium kits that's just starting to fruit out. And this is made also for eating, or is this something you can put in a vivarium? Yes, yeah, so you can eat this, and you can also put this in a vivarium. You can put it in a wow. vivarium, enjoy it, and then eat it before it, uh, before it spoils. Um, and that'll get as big as the first one you showed me? What's that? That'll get as big as the first one? No, it won't get as big as that, because it doesn't have as much um, media. Okay, okay. So, yeah. so that's the thing. This typically would not be, I mean, this was necessarily, not necessarily going to be like harmful for vivariums, but uh, this one is more vivarium safe because this one's going to be up to about fist size. It's going to get about maybe uh, a sixth or an eighth as big as the other one. Okay. So some of these um, get quite sizable. And the biggest thing about it is um, not necessarily the size, but also the spore drop because some of these drop a spores. If you have too many spores, it can actually clog the skin of the frogs, um, which can be harmful to them. So when I make those terrarium kits, I make them so that they're frog safe, essentially. And there's a lot of different factors at play for that. But again, that's uh, reishi multiplayum. Also have um, reishi senescence down here, or black reishi. So that's again, cool. Any, any new type of fungi that I'm working with, any new product I put in here so that I can test it out. Um, and then also have more tissue culture storage in there. I don't know if you can see that. That's yeah. more tissue culture storage. And that actually uh, is filtered air. It's very cleaner. It goes through five different filters um, and a UVC um, sterilizer as well. Does that to make sure nothing gets in? Well, yeah, and, and it's positive pressure too. So you can see on this, if I push against it, air blows out. Hmm. But everything here is positive pressure. Everything is magnetized so that if I have my hands full, I can just go through the door. Um, and then in this tent, I have um, some wood pieces, and I'll be releasing these soon. And these are actually inoculated with dowels um that were originally inoculated with different types of mycelium so 
Uh, this one, for instance, is going to be, uh, oh, this is going to be pink oyster. And so people can put this in their tank and then it will grow out pink oyster mushrooms. Very, very cool. Or people can put this in there and they'll have princess oyster mushrooms. So, um, but really you can do this with a lot of the different types of fungi that I grow here. What I want to do is I want to um, make it where people can put wood decor in their tank that then will grow out different types of mushrooms that are desirable. I've actually got this big chonker right here that I have three different types uh, of uh, fungi inoculated with. And and will they will they all grow on the same piece of wood or will they also compete out compete each other? Well, and that's the thing about it. So when they're grown in this medium, they get to take it all over, right? But you don't have to worry about them taking over your vivarium because there's so much competition in there. So it sucks because they're not really going to uh, fruit out um, after, you know, all this other bacteria and all this other fungi has attacked them for a while. But you get to enjoy them for a while and you don't have to worry about them overtaking your, uh, your tank. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, everything that's going through the lab is run through um, a pretty significant filtration system um, that I actually custom built myself. Um, I'll just show you one of the filters real quick to show you how many different filters it goes through. Um, they goes through a pre-filter and then it goes through a uh, HEPA filter and on the other side of that is a carbon filter and cold catalyst filter. And on the other side, it, and that goes down to 0.3 microns as well. And on the other side is another uh, 0.1 micron filter and our carbon filter. So wow. all the air that comes into the lab is extraordinarily clean. Yeah. And, and in, in, including into all every green tent has one of those filters. What's that? Every one of those green tents has one of those filters? Yeah, every one of these has filters. So. That is crazy. Because the, the cleaner the air is inside, not only the lower the contamination rate, but also um, the less often I have to change out the really expensive filters like on the bio safety cabinet. Because yeah. uh, those filters typically cost about 700 to $900 a piece. Wow. Yeah, so so prevent getting them dirty in the first place, basically. Yeah, yeah. If you were, um, if you had something like that in just a regular house or something that was outside of a lab like this, you'd probably have to change them maybe every few months or so. Okay. Um, and that gets expensive fast. Uh, mm -hmm. Like this, I'll have to change them yearly. Wow. Yeah, there's a, a whole process to it. And it's not cheap at all. <laughs> of course. No, of course. Running, running, doing this kind of th things can be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've spent maybe sixty or $70,000 so far on the lab. So it's, uh, wow. it's a lot. Yeah. Wow. But, um, you know, that's the thing, too. When people um, buy from me, they don't realize that uh, the money that they are sending, it's not just going toward, I mean, my living expenses because I've got to eat, right? Yeah. Uh, I got of course. Eat. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. Family. But it's also yeah. going towards a uh, research and development. Uh, it's not going to a giant corporation that's, you know, going and, you no, know, it's going to cool to, the planet. It's going yeah. to cooler products coming out in the future. 
Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. something that's going to benefit everyone in the long run because, you know, if I didn't have sales coming through, I wouldn't have the funds to be able to do the research and development to come out with new things that helps everyone. Because um, people don't realize that research and development is extremely expensive. Um, like, for instance, people ask me about the, uh, the tissue-cultured uh, moss inoculant. They're asking me, like, why is it $35? Why is it that expensive? And um, I have to explain to them, well, you have to think about that it takes me many hours and recipes that I've spent so much time and so much research and so much money developing to be able to even grow these mosses and tens of thousands of dollars in equipment plus years of experience and technique to be able to do this without contaminating them all to make one product yeah so <laughs> and the product this big yeah 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 because yeah, i have to grow out all the different tissue cultures and each moss inoculant has at least five different types yeah. those have to grow out for a minimum of a month and yeah. then i harvest them and i cut them up I have to make the nutrient solution. Everything has to be sterilized, autoclave, which generally takes about, you know, six to eight hours to run through a process. And if you forget about the autoclave, it will blow up. So, <laughs> yeah. So you have to go through every single one of those steps. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, um, and that's why sometimes it takes a little bit more time uh, for or for film as well is because. Uh, these products, uh, if I make them and then they sit on a shelf, they will expire. So I have to make a lot of them to order. Yeah. But to make them in, uh, to order, uh, it takes a long process. It's sometimes a multi-day process or even a multi-month process. Not that the orders take that long. Yeah. I have to do all that you know, ahead of time in preparation. But the point is, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of infrastructure, it's a lot of research and development that goes into these products. Now, that's not to say that I won't be able to lower the cost in the future. I actually just got a new piece of equipment that's going to help me to sterilely cut up the moss. That's going to save me so much time. It's going to save me my fingers because I'm getting like trigger finger now. Yeah. My finger, like this finger will stick in the morning and I can't unstick it until I like massage it for like a couple hours because you're just so, having it holding it in a specific position for so long all the tedious movements like mm -hmm. using a scalpel and forceps to cut up the moss which yeah. is what you have to do for tissue culturing and for the moss inoculant yeah. and for a lot of the fungal work um so i just bought a couple thousand dollar pieces of equipment that's going to help me with doing that um and that's that's the whole thing. It's about growing, building this up to where I can offer these products for a lot less as time goes on. Um, cause I want to be affordable and accessible to everyone. That's my goal. So, yeah. so when somebody buys a product, like 90% of it is going into research and development. So I don't starve cause I've invested so much in these things. And, um, and then you know, about 10% is actually covering, uh, the, the cost of that item. And, and then my labor that goes into it because I can't work for free either. No, so. of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. You've built a very, very cool lab, first of all. Uh, Appreciate that. Yeah, that, that's, uh, I, I, like, I don't, it's, <laughs> I'm stuttering because I don't even know what to say. That is, that is very, very cool. Um, yeah, you have a very cool lab and I'm very excited to see what else um, you have coming out in the near future. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, like, like I said earlier, I, I don't want to take uh, too, too much of your time. So, uh, Chase, thank you very, very much for coming on and telling us all these very interesting things. And also thank you 
for doing what you do because really we do need more people innovating in the hobby so um i'm, I'm very excited to see see everything see what's coming up on the website uh, but for now take some time get married have fun and then yeah. uh, and then get back to it uh awesome can you chase can you please let everybody know uh where they can find you or where they can keep up with all of this yeah um i mean everybody can follow me on uh facebook or instagram it's houston frogs on facebook uh the original houston frogs on instagram uh or my website houstonfrogs.com and i will have all of those links in the um in the show notes go check them out check out the website um if you're in america and you can already buy go buy stuff let me know how it goes um <laughs> i'll be waiting um awesome yes um thank you all very much for listening i'm daffy's reptiles on all social media daffy's roundtable for the podcast and we will see you thanks for having me have a good night thank you.